0: Good morning. It's Thursday, October 10th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. I'm Connor Tapp. Alabama and Texas A&M meet in College Station on Saturday, and it will be yet another opportunity for you to be reminded that Nick Saban has never lost to one of his former assistants. But Jimbo Fisher isn't just any old Saban acolyte. He was there the day the Saban dynasty began. On January 4th, 2004, LSU beat Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl to win the first of Saban's six national titles. In many ways, that was the day we started writing the modern history of college football in the southeast, Calling plays for the Tigers' offense that day was future Florida State and Texas A&M head coach Jimbo Fisher. Calling plays for the Tigers' defense was future Florida and South Carolina head coach Will Muschamp. Coaching running backs was future Tennessee head coach and Missouri offensive coordinator Derek Dooley. Also there that day was Justin Vincent.
1: Benson is back there by himself. Mark on the first play of the game. Hands it away, and Benson breaks it across the line of scrimmage. He's going to go! It's a foot race! 40, 35
0: 30, 25 20. He's down at the 17 yard line! Well, true freshman running back would be named the Sugar Bowl MVP a month after also being adjudged the most valuable player in LSU's blowout of Georgia in the SEC title game. Hello. Hey, Justin? Yes. Hey, it's Connor Tapp with 24-7 Sports. How you doing? So we called Justin to find out what it was like to play for that iconic LSU coaching staff. So, Justin, in 2003... You go from buried on the depth chart as a true freshman to the top running back on a team that goes on to win the national title. You're named MVP of both the SEC title game and the Sugar Bowl. Clearly, you were physically ready for that challenge. But was there ever any point where you felt overwhelmed by the fact that suddenly hundreds of thousands of people were counting on a 20-year-old kid who maybe barely had time to figure out what his major was?
1: Yeah, um, not really, man. You know, I was always um, coached up and prepared like I was going to play. Um, You know, one thing that Derek Dooley always said, he was like, you're never a backup. You're always a starter and waiting. So if something was to happen, you know, you need to be ready at all times to go in. And unfortunately, Joe and Chiron went down in the Florida game. And, you know, basically what everybody saw was a, a scared freshman who didn't like to get hit running for his life. (laughs) <laughs> um, that's basically kind of how I approached it, man, and and uh, you know, didn't look back, and everything just seemed to fall in place.
0: So, Coach Julie, just one of many different coaches on that staff, and it's so crazy to like go back and people are constantly. It seems like turning up old footage of that staff like working together and you know we didn't know at the time obviously that so many of these assistant coaches would go on to have distinguished careers as either head coaches or I know coach Dooley struggled a little bit at Tennessee but you know he has had some success in the NFL and now is doing a great job at Missouri so I mean what are your memories of how they all got along together and how they worked together as a staff?
1: You know, it was pretty cool because they were all – it was fun. Um, you know, Coach Saban has the driest humor you probably would ever have uh, <laughs> seen on somebody. I mean, something that you definitely wouldn't expect with somebody who's always uh, – whenever he's getting interviewed, he seems so stale, and, but he's not like that. He's he's definitely one of my favorites, and um, they just seemed to bond well. They had a common goal, and I think, you know, Coach Saban set the groundwork and said, uh, this is what I want to get done this is how I want to do it, you know, get on board or don't or don't get on at all. And that's how the coaches, you know, kind of relayed that information to the players. You know, we come here to win. We come here to do, you know, achieve one common goal. And everybody got on board and it seemed like they worked They worked together just fine. I mean, we, we, we had the fun times and we had our serious times. But at the end of the day, um, we know what we came here to do.
0: It's interesting that you say that about Coach Saban's sense of humor, because I think that maybe contradicts the public perception of of what he's like and you know just kind of with the way Alabama's Alabama they play in so few close games that it's almost like we're instead of looking for anything interesting from the game we're looking for oh did coach Saban get mad because they didn't execute a third down play while they're up 40 points and that kind of thing but uh, so I, I don't know I mean what do you think about that kind of split in how he's perceived or? Uh, yeah.
1: That's how he's always been though, man. I, I mean, I remember games that we were, we were beating people. I mean, he's somebody who's in it, um, from start to finish. There's no lag time for him. He's serious, um, um, from jump. So, you know, you can be up by 40 something, but you can't let, you can't let the kids and, uh, uh the young men get laxed at school and, and have a slip up because, you're representing yourself and you're representing the brand, you're representing the coach. So um, obviously what you put on tel- tape in, in the football world is your walking, and talking, talk and breathe and resume. So uh, he, wants, he wants everybody to be on their P's and Q's at all times um, because that one, that one kind of lapse that you'll have, then somebody can, can find something on tape and, and find a way to exploit that. And you could be vulnerable out there on the football field. He tries to keep people on their toes at all times.
0: Did you ever get a Nick Saban butt chewing?
1: Oh yeah, man. He got me really good, man. I'll never forget. Um we were playing Mississippi State, I think, in oh four, and we were beating them golly, I think we we're beating them by like twenty-eight. Um and they hadn't scored yet and we're on the five yard going in towards our student section and our tunnel. And it was a toss play and Jamarcus kinda of fumbled the ball uh coming out of his hand and instead of me jumping on it, I was like, Well, I didn't see anybody. Let me let me just try to pick it up and end up. Getting on the ball, and you know, as I'm as I turn around or go towards the sideline, I could just see him, like beat red headphones (laughs) off in his hand, you know, screaming, you know, at the top of his lungs. Called me a a few uh, a few censored names, um, and um, you know, I will pass him. over to the bench. He followed me, and laid into me some more and to the point where I stood up and I was like you know my family doesn't talk to me my dad doesn't talk to me that way so I know I'm not gonna take that from you and um you know it was pretty interesting uh finished the game they end up missing state end up not scoring I think we ended up beating them like 48 or 42 to nothing and then uh that Sunday he calls me in his office and he apologized I apologize and you know the rest is history but yeah nobody's above and beyond um a chewing from that dude and um and at the end of the day, you can't do anything but respect that because he demands it. He demands perfection. He demands if you have an opportunity to do the right thing, do the right thing. And I should have jumped on the ball that day, and I, you know, I take my legs and keep on ticking. But but that's who he is in a, in a, in a nutshell.
0: So I, I know for, for several years, after, after your playing days were done, you um, were an assistant director of player personnel at LSU, uh, working with Austin Thomas, seen as kind of like one of the – one of the, the best in the business. What did you, what did you take from your playing days into that role? And maybe like, what, how did your it's such a different time from when you were playing to the way all that, all that works now in terms of the off field recruiting stuff. So yeah. I don't know. How did that?
1: Yeah. You know, um, kids these days, I mean, it's, it's kinda, you know, I hate to sound like my mom or dad or your mom, or dad, <laughs> but, like it, but it's, they're different you know, you got to cater to them. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta love on them a little bit more. You gotta talk to them all the time. Um, you gotta text them. You gotta tweet them. You gotta do all this stuff. Um, you gotta send handwritten notes, and, you know, and, um, you know, and you gotta love on them a whole bunch. And, and that's the type of thing. And for my, for my playing days, you know, I'm playing against some unbelievable talent and just knowing what to look for and knowing what LSU is looking for in a, in a young student athlete. Um, that helped me in my evaluation. Um, you know, I did running backs at DBs, you know, helped out Coach Raymond um, doing some things, trying to find some DBs that will fit best for us and, and running backs that fit best for us. Um, it was just one of those uh, one of those things that's you got to watch enough of it and see enough, but playing gives you kind of an advantage, um, in my opinion, where you can spot talent. Uh, I'll give you an example, like recruiting Devin White. He went to North Webster High School in North Louisiana, which is like, one of the smallest schools in state of Louisiana, as far as competition wise that you're playing, I mean, you're playing against kids that are, that are, that are really small. So you don't know what kind of talent he is. So when I'm watching him, I know he's a great talent. I'm not watching per se him. I'm watching the kids that's running after him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of, to kind of gauge that. Um, But then a kid's like that, that you got to get them to come to camp so you can, you can put them through your drills and, 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 and see if they take your coaching and, if it's a great fit for the both of you guys, so but that that was probably one of the more challenging things. Is just sometimes some of the kids that you recruit from these smaller schools, you just don't know because the competition level isn't at the highest, you know. Um, so those those are kind of the evaluations that become really tough sometimes. But you know, at the end of the day, it worked out in our favor. Devin White won the buckets, and we look like <laughs> like saviors, you know what I mean. So yeah, um, it was just it's just tough sometimes.
0: So. Your career as you went on, it. it, it my understanding is that your injuries kind of slowed you down a little bit. And I wonder how, how much you've been paying attention to the name, image and likeness legislations that have been introduced at, in, in states across the country. And given that your window to kind of like make a lot of profit off of, off of your athletic abilities, maybe ended up being a little bit shorter than you would have liked for it to have been. Um, does that kind of shape the way you think about that at all?
1: No, not at all. I mean, because, you know, one thing about myself personally, I have zero regrets. I think I'm a firm believer in I hate saying it. I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. Um, you're putting, you're putting position. We're on the phone right now for a reason. You know, those things like that kind of play into how my everyday thinking goes. Um, But when it comes to that and with the way coaches getting paid the way they're getting paid um, with this guaranteed money and these millions of dollars. um, Personally, you know, I think there's no way they can justify amateurism. You know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the NCAA uh, can make profit millions of dollars off of what you do and you're risking life and limb. And when you're done, there's no medical you know, like the NFL, when you finish, I think the insurance follows you for like six years, if, if I remember correctly with mine. Um, you don't get that, so there has to be something. And in mind, this—I I don't know what that can be, but there has to be some long-hanging fruit. If they can find all these rules and bylaws to 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 to, to for these crazy ass nine rules, sometimes mm-hmm. they can find a way if they take their time. They got until twenty twenty-three or twenty twenty-four to figure this thing out. Yeah, if this is something they really want to do, or they just want to fight it and just whatever. But that means they got to get off some of that money that they're holding on to, because we all know that's a billion-dollar corporation who considers themselves a nonprofit. So, so that's that's kind of the gist of it for me. You know, if if if, I, if they can find a way to cap this thing and say, hey, look, you can sell, you know, you can go sell your jersey, you get jersey proceeds, you can get uh, a percentage of that, you can get, uh, go do these sign-ins, but there has to be a cap because it can't be. To this bid more to saying if you come to LSU or go to Alabama or whatever it is, they're gonna give you a million dollars in your four or three year career there, just so you can go do car commercials and all. It has to be something realistic. Right now, in my opinion, if they was to put something, you know, give you say the cap is like ten thousand dollars while you're there, just to say conversation, Mm -hmm. put that money in escrow. Whether the kids graduate um, while they're there or come back to graduate, the money stays there until they get capped and gown in hand and diploma in hand. So the money sits there and, until it's done. Um, but there's just, there's just so many, there's so many, there's so many different avenues you can go about that. Some people don't like it, some people do. But personally, if if I know I can walk to the bookstore and my jersey's selling for a hundred and something dollars and nobody knows where the money's going,
0: <laughs> I think that's <laughs> right. a problem. Do you, do you think we're inevitably headed Toward something where the players are getting compensated in yeah, some form or fashion. Yeah, I think
1: so. I, th- I think they'll get something. I don't. I don't. Like I said, I don't know what it is, but I think you know it needs to be capped because I know a lot of kids don't need the type of money with their school. You know, also teach these kids some financial literacy mm-hmm. so they know they know what to do with their money because a lot of these kids unfortunately come from places where they don't. They're not. There's not a lot of money that's abundant. So I don't want them going out there and buying a bunch of BS and not giving themselves a fighting chance to financial freedom later on down the road.
0: So I, I know when you left your uh, <laughs> role on the LSU staff, it was for the Tiger Athletic Foundation. Is that, are you still involved with them Correct. or are you? Correct, okay. I am. Okay. And so what what exactly do you do for them?
1: So I'm a major gift fundraiser. So what I do is I go out and uh, raise philanthropic funds for the benefit of our student athletes, whether it's scholarships um, to offset the cost of the university, whether it's to help build facilities. You know, everything we do, 100% of the philanthropic donation goes to student athlete, as far as, you know, education and buildings and and things like that, Um, just to make their college experience a whole lot better and more enjoyable and adequate enough um, for them to compete at a high level. So that is is kind of the gist of what I do. Um, I'm not like a car salesman or a vacuum salesman. I don't have to sell LSU. Like schools like, you know, the Power Five schools or your bigger schools, you're not selling a product. I'm selling an experience. You know, if you love LSU, I don't have to sell LSU because LSU sold already. What is it about LSU that you like? Is it gymnastics? Is it baseball? Is it football? You know, would you mind doing a scholarship um, to help offset the cost of university? You can name it at a certain dollar amount. Um, do you want to get in a, a pledge over the next five years to do X amount of dollars for, you know, um, the new nutrition center or, or the new softball facility or whatever it may be? So that's kind of what I do.
0: Well, cool. so I guess in that position, like you probably have more awareness than most people that there are a lot of people out there ready and willing to help student athletes with the some of the financial struggles that they're they're dealing
1: yeah. with yeah oh yeah, i mean there, there is um you know I meet with you know hundreds of people yearly um I touch you know every walk of life um from people that I played with to your everyday fans and to see the love and uh, um and the want to give back and make this college um better than the way they left it is just such a beautiful thing and I get to go out and cultivate these relationships and meet a lot of interesting people that I typically wouldn't meet on a normal basis so I definitely think it is uh it is needed um you know people were up in arms you know whenever uh you know our facility was built um uh, talking about the lockers and you know the money spent, but they don't realize. You know, at least some don't. The ones that aren't educated enough, they don't know that every dollar was philanthropically raised between myself and, and five other people on my, uh, uh, that I work with. So it wasn't any state funds. We weren't taking tax dollars and building stuff. This come out of your pocket and my pocket to 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 build uh, facilities. So, um, you know, it's 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 such a beautiful thing to see people wanting to help and 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 make. Like I said, make this place better than the way they left it.
0: All right, Justin. Well, thank you for the for your time and fascinating conversation.
1: Definitely, man. I appreciate it.
0: All right, man. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye. Alabama starting center Chris Owens is likely to miss the Texas A&M game on Saturday with a knee injury. According to 24-7 Sports Alabama reporter Charlie Potter, right guard Landon Dickerson has been shifting into the center position at practice with junior Deontay Brown stepping into Dickerson's usual place in the offensive line. Dabo Sweeney reacted angrily to reporters texting him for confirmation that Trevor Lawrence had an MRI after the Tigers win over Texas A&M in week two. Sweeney did end up confirming that Lawrence indeed had an MRI performed, but it appears that a bruise was the extent of Lawrence's injury. Miami head coach Manny Diaz announced on Wednesday that Nicosi Perry will start at quarterback for the Hurricanes on Friday night against Virginia. Last week, Perry threw for 422 yards and four touchdowns in relief of Jaron Williams and helped Miami come back from a 28-0 deficit against Virginia Tech, although the Canes ended up losing 42-35. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Our next episode will come Friday in the form of the audio version of the 24-7 Sports College Football Show, which you can watch in video form at 11.30 a.m. Central on YouTube, Periscope, or Facebook, featuring me, Trey Scott, Barton Simmons, and Josh Ayler. At the end of the show, we'll be making our picks for the biggest games of the weekend. If you'd like to pick along with us and enter to win a $1,000 cash prize, enter the CBS College Football Pick'em Pool linked in today's show notes and enter the password 15 minutes or fewer. That's the number 15 with no spaces in between.